Hello, everyone, and welcome to Soundcheck, a rock and roll and alternative music podcast here at Central Michigan Life. A very special edition of Soundcheck because it's our season finale. Oh. Surprise, we even had a proper season finale, considering, as always, from now on, we're coming live from quarantine or pre-recorded from quarantine. That's that's the joke we're doing. Yes. Anyways, if you don't know who we are, my name is Andrew Mullen. I'm joined by my co-host. Michael Livingston. And our amazing, wonderful, all-star podcast editor ben ackley wow there we go why did i get that treatment (laughs) i don't know because he made our show infinitely better i I feel like we deserve him special thanks what are you gonna say michael i was just gonna say let's take one minute just to say ever since ben joined the show we've had better thumbnails better music (laughs) uh like the production has been better Uh, you are by far the best podcast editor we've ever had this is my pleasure been a truly special season i think even if well only half of it was in person but i think we've managed to make um life under quarantine podcasting under quarantine for that matter work so uh yes thank you ben and uh thank you for any listeners you may have for sticking through with us and hopefully we can continue providing you some awesome content going forward but before we get into any our topic today or really just anything i think i'd be I think it's important to mention this, this, this story is a few days old by this point, that time we're recording, but I think it's so important to mention, uh, uh, recently we lost a rock and roll legend, little Richard, um, on, I believe it was on Sunday. Um, I think he had cancer he didn't die of like COVID or anything, but yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it I mean, it's sad, uh, obviously, cause he was such a big name in the music field, but again, he was also what late eighties, early nineties, like mm-hmm. some, he was old. So, I mean, it was, it was bound to happen any day at this point. Obviously, it doesn't make me any less sad. Just, no. um, just that that wasn't really a surprising thing. But yeah, um, Little Richard, um, easily one of, if not perhaps the best early uh, rock and roll artists. We're talking from like the the fifties era. I mean, he yeah. really, except maybe Jerry Lee Lewis, but his legacy has been completely stripped away for obvious reasons. We don't need to get into. Really, Little Richard was just unparalleled uh, in terms of performer, a singer, a frontman, just whatever. I mean, he was, he was definitely like, if you think about, you know, like punk music and like rock and roll that was more aggressive, more animalistic, all of it kind of has to pay tribute to Little Richard because he was the first one to kind of really set the stage for that. Yeah, you hear that? Not Elvis, Little Richard. No. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> but it, it, it is kind of sad that like, you know, at, at some point, you know, your casual music listeners, when they think 50s, early rock, you immediately turn to Elvis, which there's nothing wrong with that. Of course, Elvis made a huge impact. But, you know, why doesn't the Chuck Berries get more love and the Little Richards? You know, it's when you're talking about the, the birth of rock, it, it really started with those guys just as much as Elvis, especially stage presence aspects. Well, as yeah, well. I mean, you're you're thinking about if you're going into that era, if you're looking at 50s music, which... In our topic today, we aren't going to be, but um, if you're looking at 50s music and you want to just for sheer musicianship and star power and vocal power, like you really can't beat Little Richard. It's impossible. And that just his influence looms so large into all kinds of genres of music. Like you probably wouldn't have the insane screams that you have in metal music without Little Richard, honestly. In a way. there are ways yeah. that you can trace him into so many places. And he was such a, a, an astounding performer for his entire career. 
So mm-hmm. it, it is a, a significant loss. Yeah. And, and you, you mentioned Ben, you know, that's probably one of the reasons why rock and roll was so, so, so demonized early on in its, in its life. I mean, obviously it's always, it, it, it's in, in essence a very rebellious, you know, art form to begin with. So there's that, but on racism, obviously the fifties that, and a lot of the music at this time were being made by black artists that definitely played a role into that as well. But I mean, when you look at like Chuck Berry or um, the Flats Dominoes, I mean, they weren't as threatening sounding to a lot of people. Little Richard was on a completely different level. I mean, you listen to him, you hear this just man screaming. I know, like nowadays, you might go back and listen to it. It's like, oh, it's kind of primitive. Oh, I've heard a bunch more brutal screams now. Why would I care? In the 50s, that's basically your death metal band right there. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. For, for Little Richard. And, you know, it's probably one of the reasons why early on rock and roll was was deemed so kind of scary and no, oh, it's a terrible thing. Don't let your kids listen to it because I mean, little, maybe because little Richard probably was part of that. Cause he heard that voice and like, Oh my God, what is this? But I don't say it's a bad thing. That's a great thing. That's what rock should be. It's what rock and roll should be. It was supposed to be rebellious and it was supposed to be, you know, pushing boundaries and, you know, respectively, of course, obviously there's certain boundaries you shouldn't break, but I think little Richard broke a lot of them during his time. Um, you know, and if you look, you mentioned some of these other bands, you know, Chuck Berry innovated the guitar, Elvis, innovated being a pretty boring music, or it's really probably the biggest contribution <laughs> he made. Oh. Um, yeah. Little Richard, um, and yes, to a degree, Jerry Lee Lewis, but I would argue mainly Little Richard was the one who really innovated the vocals for rock. And uh, I think he deserves all that credit. Um, also kind of had a tragic life, though. Um, I, I actually... Uh, took a music appreciation, a music like rock. No, it was a music. It was a rock and roll history class uh, nice. this year at Central, and we we talked about the early rock and roll. You brought up Little Richard. I was actually surprised to hear uh, how much of a kind of a conflicted life you led. Um, Little Richard. I mean, he was he, he was a gay man. He he he, was, he didn't shy away from that. Sometimes, obviously, ex- being gay in the fifties would have been especially hard. I mean, it's hard nowadays, but imagine the fifties. That would have been just horrible i can only imagine and he would con- like he would dip in and out of the music world like you know all the time because it you know it would be like just sometimes in the middle of you know his you know he's deep in his vices with drugs or you know performing rock and roll or you know having his hookups or whatever he would realize no this isn't right because he was raised religiously and that would always kind of come back and come, and come back both who he felt felt like who he was and the music that he was making. So he would dip in, he would be a pastor every now and again, or yep. and he would go back into music and he stops like, no, I can't do this. It's just all too wrong. And, go, and that was honestly kind of very sad. You know, it's unfortunate someone who we all respect so much musically. It's unfortunate that he kind of led that life. Yeah. So I don't have anything else to say, but I think the the best way to pay tribute to this legendary rock star is to play some of this music on air. Yeah. So and here's my favorite little Richard track. I love this show. This was one of the ones that really grabbed me to him. Uh, Lucille. I know it's been covered plenty of times before, but no one could do it better than him. So play a little bit of Lucille.
So you never listen to Little Richard. Go back, do yourself a favor. Go listen to some of the early origins of rock and roll. Of course. And with that, I think it leads into our housekeeping uh, for the day. Yes. Hey, if, if you haven't followed us on Twitter, you better, man. We've been pushing out some great content recently. Well, Andrew has for sure. Well, with our, I, I may have missed a couple days with this. <laughs> uh, it's all right. Everyone, do, when, when we're doing those 30-day song challenges, everyone misses a couple days. But hey, yeah. uh, we're, we're, we've been pretty active since quarantine started. And if you're, you're, you're missing out, if you're not uh, following us on Twitter. So go ahead and follow Official. Um, and yeah, do you check in once in a while? All right. We post episodes on there. You can keep yeah. yourself updated. It's a good Twitter. It's shaped it up to be a good Twitter. Yes. I think I po- I actually posted, um, one of our older episodes on there and talked about our favorite song discoveries. First episode, actually, funny enough that Ben actually edited it for us. Hey. Um, and yeah, that, that got some decent engagement. Uh, we got some, actually all the, like we got a couple of retweets from some of the bands I'd mentioned in there. Uh, Dude, Loomer- did you see that Loomer liked us? Yeah, Loomer liked us. I think they followed my account too, which is oh, awesome. congrats! Which is, which is great. Great band. I, everyone knows how much I love that band, and Michael as well. Um, yep. Cecilia Eba, uh, I think also uh, liked her uh, our stuff, and hopefully she listens to the episode because I want her old stuff back online. But that's <laughs> another story for another time. But yeah, uh, follow us on Twitter. Um, you can also follow me at Andrew Mullen Four. Um, you guys and- want to play in your Twitters? Yep, and you can follow me at Michael C. Liv. And with that, I think uh, we can start explaining our episode topic, if you want to do that, Andrew. Uh, yeah, so um, so I've always, so for a while, I've wanted to do something, I guess, a little more controversial. Let's talk about overrated artists. Who's the most overrated, who are the most overrated bands of all time? Uh, some of those people, some of the bands that I would um, tend to put in that list will be featured on this episode. We'll get to those later. Um, I've always wanted to do that. And then on the counter out balance, who are the most underrated bands of all time? What bands don't get the love they deserve? I've wanted to talk about that for a while too. Um, and so when we're going, deciding about what we should do for our final episode of the season, um, I kind of got this weird idea where we can mash the two together. Basically go throughout the decades from the 60s um, onward to the previous decade, the 2010s. We don't need to talk about the 50s. As you can probably tell, just be me, me and my little sh- shitting on Elvis mo- most of the time. But uh, Sorry, Ben. Uh, but yeah, so what we'll be doing, we, we had a very long, somewhat argumentative discussion about who is the most overrated band of the, so the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, 90s, and so on, and the same for underrated. We all... And, and so we have our main picks between the three of us that we all at least somewhat agree on. And we'll be talking about those somewhat at length, you know, time talk about why they're overrated, why they're underrated. They don't get the love they deserve, whatever. And then we'll have space for each. We'll, we'll each have space to kind of mention any artists or bands we feel should have been in the overrated or underrated spot. Uh, it, it's just a good way to kind of trash a music we don't like and, and give love to the music that we do like. I mean, we, we all got to have balance. Sometimes, you just yeah. have music that you hate. Sometimes there's music that you love, and not a lot, not a lot of people love for whatever reason. So, yeah, you know. you're 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 gonna get you know the two sides of the soundcheck hosts. Like you're gonna get us hardcore <laughs> shitting. Some of my least favorite bands of all time are on Same this here. list, and Same also here. some of my favorites. 
So it's it's gonna be a really like a roller coaster of an episode. It will be the Jekyll and Hyde of soundcheck, <laughs> right? <laughs> so to combat that, uh, we're gonna do a little bit of what we did for King Giz and actually time um, our our chances to talk about these bands so we don't go overwinded in the episode length. And we got some complaints last time that like, oh, we shouldn't mention like when we're done talking or when the timer goes off. So we'll try to keep that at a minimum as yeah. well. Just just know that we are we'll be thinking. But let's keep things as concise as possible. Mm-hmm. For sure. So that being said, um, I think we can just kind of jump in. Um, let's just dive right in. The 60s. Yes. Started off as kind of a boy band's heaven and it ended off as being just completely high and baked as hell. Yes. Uh, basically. That's, that's probably a good way to sum up the 60s. Also, a lot of political strife was happening, a lot of political change and protests were happening as well. It was a very... By the end of the 60s, it was a very busy time in the world. And uh, the music certainly reflects that. Um, and if you ask me, uh, maybe you guys have different things. This was probably the, one of the hardest decades to really pinpoint. Both were over and underrated because in retrospect, I think the 60s is probably the most fairly rated decade you know, of, of them all. I mean, if you look at the artists and who's praised nowadays, who's, who's hated nowadays, reviled maybe, um, I think everyone's pretty fairly rated. And I think this is also just a really solid decade for music as well. I know I'm not, I don't hate to be the boomer that says the sixties was the best decade for music, <laughs> but I would probably disagree with that. But, you know, looking back at it, I can see why they might make that argument. I mean, not, not beyond the fact that it was their decade. In fact, I think there was just a lot of great music. And I think overall, if you look at what was hitting the radio by the end of it, it was pretty strong. I think we can kind of get into our first overrated artist. <laughs> yes. Oh okay. my goodness. So Michael, you're the one who suggested this one. So why don't you introduce it? Well, yeah, we're, we're going through all these artists and we're like, God, there's no bad picks. And then we think like, Oh, sweet Caroline. <laughs> <laughs> and we think, Oh, bah, bah, bah. fuck Neil Diamond. Like, come on. <laughs> If, and, and there are some, some people that'll say like, okay, why Neil Diamond of all people? I mean, it, he, what, what harm is he doing um, for the world, you know? But if, if you grow up a music fan like the three of us did, you, got, you reach a point in your life oh. where when you hear Sweet Caroline, your ears actually start like squirting blood. Like it is, <laughs> the, the song is so overplayed. It's such garbage. I, I can't think of a better artist to represent a one hit wonder. Um, and even if we're talking about his good songs, they're all I, I don't by better artists. I, mm, interesting point. I don't know if he's necessarily a one hit wonder. I, I think he's just, no, he has 10 hit. number one singles. <laughs> yeah. So I, he, this is the one that just supersedes all of them. Sweet Caroline. But yeah. Um, yeah. Neil Diamond. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a pretty good choice. Um, honestly, uh, I don't know why people still talk about him these days. I don't know how he's managed to stay at least anywhere somewhat relevant. I know, I, I know my granddad, um, God bless his soul, um, was a big fan of him. Probably because he grew up during that time. And, you know, I don't, Neil Diamond isn't the worst thing in the world. Um, I do not like him a lot as well, just like Michael. I, I, I would even use the word hate. Um, he's pretty bad. And I think one of the main reasons why I don't like him and I was because I was listening to the album Sweet Caroline. And I'm like, I hate his voice. My God, like he's he's not a good singer. I mean, I'm sure his range is somewhat okay, but he doesn't deliver anything well. It's either boring or almost grating. 
to me. <laughs> well, Ben, Ben, you had you had an interesting point about like his musical career. Yeah, well, um, so Neil Diamond got started in the early 60s as a songwriter, like working for songwriting companies. And he eventually, in the mid-60s, recorded his first sides for a major label. But he was writing stuff for like legitimate, actual artists. Um, the first artist that comes to my mind is the Monkees, who I actually adore even if they weren't really legitimate or actual artists, at least at the start of their career. But he was writing songs and you can hear in some of his music, like the songwriting is there. He has catchy stuff. Obviously, Sweet Caroline is like, everyone knows that song. It's like, it's a small world from Disney World. It's one of those songs <laughs> one knows. So he's clearly got something going on. His voice is just horrible and he can't like, <laughs> he can't make me feel anything at all. It's like we talked about Sinatra on the love episode. I brought this up with Michael earlier and you guys were talking about how you couldn't buy anything coming from Sinatra. Like it just sounded stagey and, and fake and like he didn't really believe what he was saying. And I get that same feeling from Neil Diamond. Like he, right. he's, he tells me, oh, I'm so <laughs> sad. And I ju it's just like, it, it's all, it's always sounds like a character. It never sounds like he's actually feeling anything he's singing about. My final point would also be this. He's also just a terrible performer in general. I read a string of pretty consistent posts saying how in his early years, when he was trying to put his name out there playing in high schools and really small venues, as soon as the crowd started to heckle him, he would rage quit. He would be off the stage immediately. Like just a sore loser when it comes to performing. Like if he didn't get famous as soon as he did, like he would, just, he would have quit. You know, I, I can't, I can't imagine. Uh, uh, what Neil Diamond is like in his personal life. Uh, obviously, God. I can't rip on that, but I mean, come on. Uh, <laughs> also, he's been married that. like he's been married like four times. So, come on. <laughs> oh, uh, all those poor women, Jesus. Um, <laughs> to me, Neil, again, Neil Diamond's not the worst thing in the world, but he, to me, he's kind of the antithesis of the cheesy '60s. You know, the cheesy '60s, the boring '60s. Um, yeah. Really, honestly, I, at this point, I don't know how many people know anything else by him by Sweet Caroline. In fact, actually, it's something, in, something interesting to that point. I know you guys talk about everyone knows Sweet Caroline. Maybe the curse is finally starting to be lifted because I was talking with my girlfriend uh, last week and about like, oh, God, I have to listen to Neil Diamond. She was like, I have never listened to, oh, I don't think I've ever listened to a Neil Diamond song in my life. I'm like, okay, well, well it's up for Sweet Caroline. She's like, I, I don't know that one. I'm like, you have to know that song, right? She's like, I don't. Well, like, so I played it for her because, okay, she might know it by name. She might know it by music. She had legitimately never heard Sweet Caroline before. In her wow. Life, which, now, which, which may, makes me, A, happy because, hey, maybe this song's finally starting to fall, fall into obscurity. And B, jealous because I want to know her secret about how to avoid that song. <laughs> I, and with that, I think we got to play this song so people can hear it. If, if you're in Andrew's girlfriend's case and never heard it, I'm sorry for what you're about to hear. Yeah, just skip ahead. Reaching out, touching me, touching you. Here's the issue. Here's my issue. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. 
isn't in the lyrics anywhere. There are backup singers on the song, and they don't say bump, bump, bump. No one says it. It's the horns. It's, it's not even a lyric. But, but everyone does it. If you go to this played in any public event, any sporting event, wherever, <laughs> this song's played. Everyone goes, bop, bop, bop. It is horrible. It is annoying. Okay, okay. We got, we got to keep going. Let's show some love now okay. to uh, our, over, or our underrated, sorry, <laughs> our underrated pick of the 60s. Um, ben, why don't you introduce this one? Okay. Because you're more most familiar with these guys. All right, so... Um, there's a band called the zombies from the sixties. They had a little bit of chart success with a song called she's not there. They had a little bit of chart success with a song called tell her now, if you're a sixties music fan, you might be familiar with these singles, but what you might not know is that they had a sophomore album that came out in, um, 68. It was recorded on the same tape machine that Sergeant Pepper was recorded on using John Lennon's Mellotron in Abbey Road Studios. And I would say that it rivals a lot of those Beatles records, a lot of the psychedelic sound of those records. Um, so the Zombies put out the album Odyssey and Oracle. Odyssey is misspelled in 1968. And I would call it a perfect 60s psychedelic pop album. The songwriting is genius, extremely catchy. The production is basically fabulous when it comes to song structure. Um, and it's one of those albums that is, it's sort of your record store person album. Like if, if you're into music, you've at least seen it around somewhere. But if you're not familiar with it, you really should be because this band doesn't get their due and this album is a masterpiece. Yeah, I, when I first looked at the Zombies discography and I saw how small it was at first, I thought to myself, like, uh, they, how could they stand toe-to-toe with the Beatles or the Stones or the Who or those other British invasion bands? But they went through pretty much a similar em- evolution that the Beatles did in terms of sound, but just minimized. And Odyssey and Oracle, I think, is super overlooked. Um and I, you know, I listened to it for my first time researching for this episode and they're somehow still able to tie those two worlds together of like the sixties garage sounds, but also in the sixties pop sounds. Um, so there's, there's not really a loss of identity, um, in when, when you're talking about the decade of the sixties as a whole. And, you know, I, I, I look at the album cover of this, of Odyssey and Oracle and I think, Oh, that is a sixties album. You got the flowers and you got the weird psychedelic picturing. Um, but you could take this album and play it to me today. And, you know, I'd, I'd still think it could stand toe to toe with one of those, those bigger bands. Uh, this was a really pleasurable listen to me. If I wanted to be super nitpicky, I could say that this album was maybe mixed a little low um, in volume, but that just means it needs a remaster. It needs to be resurfaced. Um. I'm kind of in the same camp with Michael in the sense that I, I, I was I, I knew some of the songs obviously knew time of the season and you know a couple of their other hits um you know so I was at least I was only slightly familiar with the zombies first time again my first time listening to Odyssey and or- Oracle listening to this album and the other reason I kind of I I, I don't want to say I conceded on this because I don't think I did I just don't think there's really a better band to go to put here because again I think every band that at this point. There were a lot of underground rock, you know, garage rock and psychedelic bands that were sorely overlooked, like the 13 Four Elevators at the time, per se, but have gone on to achieve all 
bunch of cult success. And, you know, when we decide when looking at underrated bands, I think it's important to kind of keep that in mind. A lot of bands may now have gotten their due, may now have like gotten, you know, all the recognition they deserve, you know, at least from like the, the scenes that would at least, you know, listen to them. Uh, you know, 34 Elevators, for example, ha- has gotten that sense, I think. Um, in the terms of the zombies, though, um, yeah, I, I think when comparing them to other British invasion artists, they are overlooked because they, they, did, they were definitely providing something different. They didn't sound like those other bands during the more experimental phases. They weren't making rock operas like The Who. They weren't, um, they weren't you know, making long, drawn-out epic you know, pieces like, well, The Who kind of have been, as well as The <laughs> Rolling Stones. They weren't get, um, they were psychedelic, but not in the same way the Beatles were trying, and they weren't they weren't pushing boundaries like uh, the the Kinks were either. Um, they, they were, they were just doing it different ways. I mean, sorry, mm-hmm. but uh, to me, I I don't know. Maybe I'm a little. I think I'm a little less high. Um, no pun intended on this album than uh, than you two. Sorry, Ben. Um, I mean, I think they are underrated. Um, I definitely think they should get more recognition with the other British Invasion bands. But I don't know. I mean, this this album kind of seems to have I don't want to say one trick. It's just kind of a, okay. It's just a lot of like it's very bright keyboards, a lot of piano happening with um, kind of psychedelic bass lines, and it's cool. But you know, again, I, I just kind of like. Do you guys do anything? You know, else you know why? You know why I think that is Andrew. Why I think you're not as high is because uh, this does have some pet sounds uh, vibes to it mm. as well. Kind I, of, you know, what? I immediately fair. got that. And that's, that is a fair criticism for you. I could see why it wasn't as high and I'm going to take that. But, but, uh, if you're not like Andrew and you do appreciate pet sounds, I don't know how I feel about it. I'm kind of in the middle. Gif- definitely give this album a try. No, and I'm if not you're saying it's bad. This, yeah. this is, this is some great, again, I love a lot. I love psychedelic music. It's, it's one of those genres I just have a soft spot for. And if you, do it competently, I'm probably going to like it to at least some degree. And, you know, I, I think they definitely have a lot of merit to them. Um, and again, it's just, everything's just so very fairly rated with the 60s. There's just not a lot of bands that do. And I think this is one of the few that, yeah, they, 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 deserve, they deserve more credit. All right. It's time to play some tunes then. All right. We're going to play a little bit of Care of Cell 44, which is an interesting song because it's a love song, but it's written from the perspective of our main character who is writing to his lover in prison. Now it's time to move up a decade. Well, first, first we have our personal picks. If you want to, if you guys oh, want to, right, right. Yeah. So uh, I, I will. Well, I'll start off because um, I, I, I definitely, I definitely see what you mean, Michael. Um, with that, like it does kind of sound like Pet Sounds. If Pet Sounds was done, you know, good. Which uh, speaking of that, uh, leads into my. If I were to make this list, I would have put the Beach Boys as overrated, probably. Uh, sorry, Ben. Um, but the Beach Boys do kind of suck. Um, here's the thing. Uh, what's this? But Brian Wilson, 
uh, tremendously um, influential, uh, definitely pushed the boundaries, and I respect him for that. Doesn't mean the music was any good. The early Beach Boy sucks is stuff. It's just grating, and it's horrible. It's unbearable. The Pet Sounds era gets better, but it's still like overly. Like, might just be me. They're just overly cheerful. I, it's just not my thing. I, I hate the Beach Boys. Uh, Sonics would be my underrated pick. I know they've gotten a lot of their cult success since then, but um, I don't think they get the credit for how innovative they were. Even though they were simplistic, they were animalistic, and they were great. Um, yeah, they don't get their due for that sense. Probably, I would argue, probably the first proto-punk band, and I don't think people really recognize that. So those would be my personal picks. You guys got anything you want to mention? I, I don't have a lot to recommend um, when it comes to the 60s. In that case, I would recommend our listeners go check out our 60s psychedelic episode to learn more about some classic underrated uh, garage music from the 60s. Shameless plug. Yes. Good man. Yep. What I would like to do is um, take five seconds to say, if you listen closely, the Beach Boys are not really that cheerful. You need to listen to Pet Sounds again because there are lots of sad songs on there. Whatever. I am a huge Beach Boys fan. The car, the car music is actually, the lyrics aren't good, but it's very musically complex once you get to about 1964. That's hey, what I'm going to say. They pushed some boundaries. I'm not saying they didn't. The music's just terrible. Let's go to my favorite decade, the 70s. Yes. <laughs> Let's talk about the 70s. Let's talk about Kiss. Ugh. This, is, this band is in my top three like least favorite bands of all time. I fucking hate Kiss. Hmm. Um, they, they're basically just, a, you know, I've hated them my whole life. The band is literally like a capitalist buyer scheme with the amount of useless <laughs> oh fucking boy. merch that, that's, that's out there. I feel yeah. like those poor kids that came out of this era, which in some, some cases it's like our dads, like, you know, they, they got into this band because they got a lunchbox for Christmas. Like the songs are awful except for the hits. And even those have shitty bigoted lyrics. A six year old could learn the entire kiss back catalog on guitar. Uh, and the makeup does not make the music good. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's, well, that was my rant. I think I, 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 th I mean the makeup thing, I think it goes without saying, I mean, yeah. When, when, you, when you think about, shock you know you know kind of stage presence you know, shock rock or you know stage presence bands there there are ways of doing both having a good stage performance and having great music um someone i forgot to mention for the for my personal underrated section of the 60s um the crazy world of arthur brown was the kind of guy who innovated that stuff and uh screaming jay hawkins to an extent as well but you know a lot of guys drew inspiration from him and a lot of those bands that are really great alice cooper at least for the 70s made some fantastic music and was still able to do all this crazy stage stuff and shock antics war at some degree i mean the stage presence is what they're really good at the music's kind of whatever but they have a couple jams like more so than kiss i mean to me you're right michael they're more they're they're a brand and, and brand now more of a band and honestly that's how they've always been really the music has always been an afterthought and i think that's very clear like to me, I've never seen an artist whose career is so based on filler in my entire life. It, it, it's ridiculous. Um, you know, there are a couple tra there are a couple hits that I like. I like the re-recording of Strutter. I like uh, God of Thunder. I think that song's badass. That is the one actual song I will genuinely defend. Um, Creatures of the Night's the only album I can kind of listen to back and front and be like somewhat satisfied. I. I like Love Gun, even though the lyrics are kind of gross. The lyrics <laughs> are awesome. Uh, 
yeah, it, 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 there, there isn't a lot to this band. And there's just... Gene Simmons from the schemiest fucking assholes ever. He, the only thing... He knows how to do marketing more than music, really. And... Ugh, fuck. I don't know. Yeah. I don't hate... I don't straight up hate Kiss because there's some songs that I'm okay with. Right. But yeah, I mean... They're 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 pretty bad. They're pretty bad, and they're really the only actual talented member of that band was Ace Frehley, who had some decent solo stuff. Um, but even then, like his vice has gotten away a lot of times. And Paul has a decent voice, but yeah, there's like P- Peter Chris. Who the fuck brought Peter Chris to any sort of relevancy? That was fucking <laughs> stupid. I just yeah, there, there's really nothing to this band. Um, not a lot, at least. Ben, what do you have to say about Kiss? Uh, I, I'm probably the biggest Kiss, air quotes, defender in the in the this chat. I I think that they're just if if I'm looking at Kiss, I can take Ace Freely era Kiss, '70s era Kiss, and say either you're gonna have a song that like you know you if and it's kind of cool, or you're gonna have a song that's really dumb that you can laugh at. But I I just I made a little list. Um, for my defense well for my antagonization of kiss here uh so in 1979 kiss's sellout disco album dynasty went double horrible fucking Um, horrible what else was released in 1979 that was better and did worse london calling by the clash unknown pleasures by joy division fear of music by talking fresh fruits for rotting vegetables fresh fruits for rotting vegetables rust never sleeps by neil young the b-52's debut Oh my God! You're getting me pumped up. Wow, you're getting me angry. I wasn't even that to start. I mean, God, I did, yeah. I mean, and you pointed out that's that's a criticism. Only again, Kiss always tries to follow the times. I mean, yeah, hard rock was already kind of a thing by the time they started to form, and they weren't really innovating there. And then when disco's a thing, quick change to disco. And then when hair metal's <laughs> becoming a thing. By the way, I will say this though, ironically, '80s Kiss is one of the funniest things of all time it is hilarious i honestly i ironically like some of those songs how fucking ridiculous like lick it up is fucking hilarious to me (laughs) no and nothing's funnier than let's put the x in sex fuck oh yeah song is so funny oh just watching these 30 year olds it's like yeah man we're cool and sexy no you're just lame you're like this is a like a pervy uncle it's just a group of your pervy uncles it's just oh and yeah, that- I mean, Kiss just, uh, yeah, I mean, Kiss, again, they, they, they follow trends with their music. They don't innovate. They don't do anything. They, they don't even do what they do well. So, it, it, yeah, there's not much here. And, um, the, the, and Michael, do you mind if I introduce the song that we're going to play? Please, please. So I chose Cold Gin. It's not one of their major hits, but it was a decent side sit for them. I remember when, for a time when I thought Kiss was actually kind of good when I was first getting into music. I remember thinking, this song's great, mainly because the riff is, ha- riff is half somewhat decent. And it's an okay riff. It's not the worst thing ever. But really, you'll just see how boring it is. Granted, it's off the debut. It's hard to judge it for that. But God, like, everything just feels like they're like all performing like they're half asleep. The guitar solo, even though Ace Frehley had <laughs> some decent talent, the guitar solo on the song doesn't exist as you'll hear shortly i mean it's just a perfect summation how kind of overall trash and filler their discography really is
Uh, you remember I'm, what I said about like a six-year-old could play, play any Kiss song on guitar? Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. which is weird because Ace is okay. Like I don't know. It's I don't know what why Ace joined the Ace deserves better. Honestly. He has some chops. Yeah, I, I like some of his solo stuff. All right. But, so we are moving on to our 70s underrated artist. And this is a, another that's very near and dear to my heart. I feel like the pressure's on with this band. Our underrated artist for the 70s is a little band called Television. They got started in 1973. They were playing the New York City iconic club CBGBs regularly by 1974. Um, they put out two albums, one in 1977, one in 1978. They've been called a jazz punk band, sort of an amalgamation of art rock, punk rock, avant-garde, and jazz all in a, a stew, very Velvet Underground influenced. Um, introspective and hard to decipher lyrics, catchy melodies and amazing guitar duels performed by m- two of my favorite guitarists of all time, Richard Lloyd and Tom Verlaine. This band should get so much more credit. They have two records and they have two perfect records. They made another one in the 90s. It's really good too, but of their heyday, two perfect, amazing records. I listened to this for the very first time all the way through. I listened to Arcane Moon, the single before I've heard it, um, but I didn't appreciate how well it works in the whole context of the album that it's off of. And I mean, yeah, it, I mean, what a perfect pitch you gave me when you told me about television, Ben. You're like, it, it's it's taking punk from different roots. It's got the jazz. It's kind of got like Afro beat and dance music. It's like, when I first heard it, I was like, oh, this sounds like, like strokes and talking heads it's like what how is this from the 70s this shouldn't be from the 70s but it is it's so ahead of its time um the songwriting was like sounded simplistic but underneath it it was very complicated you're talking about like the dual guitarist um and these songs can change on like a quick chord or just like the change of a, a vocal melody or something like that it 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 you don't know what to expect when you listen to this album and you kind of get thrown for a loop at every twist and turn. It's, it's fantastic. Um, kind of, again, it's kind of the same boat as Michael here. Um, I, this is definitely one I seated on cause I didn't, I don't know how many you guys, how much music from the ones that I would have put for this, uh, pick you guys would have agreed on or even knew of. So, uh, yeah, I don't think television is a bad choice. Uh, you know, if, if we're, now, if we're talking about quality here, actually, it's a great choice. You know, I, I did not know tell I saw the cover of Marky Moon everywhere. That's just like when I was first getting into music, especially starting into punk music and even kind of new wave. That I just every now and again, I just go on the internet. Oh, here's Marky Moon. Here's Marky Moon. Here's how great television is. It's like I had never really given it the time of day until this one. I get a new couple songs from it. That was about it. And then I listened to it. It's like it's really good. Um, second record, not as good. I, I don't think the second record really stands up as a whole to Marky Moon. But, but even then, they're both fantastic. You, they did have a really great sound, really great musicianship, great songwriting. I really liked the song Porn Curtain from, from Marky Moon. I think the album closed, so that was fantastic. Um, here's my question, though. And again, I don't know much about them, so I don't know. But here's my question to you, Ben. I, how, how exactly are they underrated in my eye? How, how are they underrated? Because in my eyes, I feel like they've gotten a lot of the cult success they have. Because again, I see the cover of Marky Moon everywhere. I think a lot of people still talk about, talk about this band nowadays and give them a credit. I mean, Marky Moon, that's just, at this point, one of those iconic album artworks. I've seen mm-hmm. people wear this on t-shirts. It's, 
I think they've definitely come to come to a point where they've got a lot of their critical acclaim that they deserve. Do you do you not agree with that, or is it kind of like a case where like me and Ben, who get me sorry, me Michael, who've always seen this album cover around, and maybe we, this is not people always see that, but they don't really not a lot of them give the album the time of day it deserves. Um, what do you think that? What do you think? Why would you say they're overrated? I just I think that it's one of those records where yeah I mean like you guys had seen it around maybe or or were familiar of it I mean Andrew you're a punk guy and you hadn't really heard it all the way through so I just think it's it I think it's a really good record to pull out and say look at this because it's from a band that only had two records so they were never going to get as much acclaim as like uh, a Talking Heads would but it's in the same sort of area where like Talking Heads has some really massive songs. And obviously, like, I would love to say Talking Heads is underrated, but they definitely aren't. Like, they're big for good reason. And this album is arty and hard to decipher, but it's also super duper catchy. And I think this this is an album that could be a really good inroads for just your basic music listener to getting into more artistic, uh, complex music. So that's why I think it's underrated is that just more not not music people like us who are super into music but more people just just ordinary people need to hear it that's that's kind of where i was coming from okay and, and you know, i think that's fair i mean I, I i think it's a pretty good choice um i again i just guess for, i'm just looking for the lens from like a more like for us who are a little more hardcore into music i guess that was mm-hmm. kind of the lens i was looking through from and yeah i i might be a bit of a stretch but no i i, I think television definitely uh they, they were influential um yeah, definitely in some some degree ahead of their time. So no, I think this is a pretty pretty solid pick for on for underrated artists of the decade. Cool. Let's hear it. Nice fade out there, Ben. Thank you. You, t- you took that very slow and steady. Saw that. He, Appreciate it. Band. He had to get it right. He had to get it right. Right so, off the point. Before we move on to the next decade, um, any personal mentions for over and underrated artists that you want to guys want to bring up? Oh, I do have one that is unfortunately topical. Um, we don't really ever talk about country music on here and considering the way modern country is for good reason, but I can find a lot of merit in older country music, especially from the seventies and earlier. Um, and a country legend, well, not really a legend. Uh, 
A country musician named John Prine died recently. And he's one of my favorite songwriters. Uh, and he released a string of really, really solid albums. He was a great live performer. He has songs um, that'll break your heart and songs that'll make you laugh. And I think John Prine is, is worth checking out. And I don't really understand why he never got bigger. It might be his voice, but check John Prine out. That's mine. I'll, I'll, I'll go then real quick. Um, again, if I were to make this list, Kiss, great choice for overrated. In fact, I might keep that one. Although... For me personally, I'd be more inclined to say the mother fucking Eagles. I hate the Eagles. They are one of the most boring group of songwriters of all time. I Everyone knows how much I hate Yacht Rock, so maybe there's something personal there too. Yeah, in other merits, I like Joe Walsh. I think he's pretty good. I like a lot of his stuff outside the Eagles. When he's in the Eagles, he's just wasted. I'm like, why? why are you in such one of the most boring bands of all time? I've never seen a Big Lebowski, but... I do know he does trash him a bit. I feel like I would sympathize with that character more than any other movie character. Um, <laughs> going to underrated, um, there's a couple I'd mentioned. You mentioned Protopunk, The Dictators. I don't think they get their due for how ahead of their time they were as far as being a Protopunk band. Uh, they pretty much set up for what, how the Ramones sounded like. Mm-hmm. Um, George, George Thorogood, that might sound like a weird one. Yeah, I know the bad to the bone dude. But if you look, listen to his savage material, he was really good. Not the most technically gifted guitarist ever, but he made up for it in attitude. He brought a really unique um, take to just dirty, bl- dirty blues rock. It was really good. The Jay Giles Band. If you only know Love Stinks and Centerfold, you know the wrong part of the Jay Giles Band career. Their later material is absolutely terrible. And why that's the biggest stuff they have is, is insane to me. Listen to their much earlier material. They had a lot of, they combined a lot of older sounds in really great ways. Um, you know, kinds of country and soul and funk and early rock and roll. They combine them all so well to have this really fresh and exciting sound. Uh, full, their live album, Full House, is what I'd recommend. It's my favorite live album of all time. They're really good. Um, and then Blue Oyster Cult. If you ask me, they're the most underrated band of all time. They churned out classic album after classic album throughout the 70s. Easily the, the hard rock band of the 70s that was pushing the boundaries the most. Um, they, they, they brought on Patti Smith the same year she debuted her first record. And they, they were definitely ahead of the time seeing what great music was. Um, and they, they utilized three different lead singers, had a lot of great guitar star solos and just, just excellent songwriters. Seriously, they're more, they are more than a, the butt of a fucking SNL joke. They just, they deserve, their legacy deserves so much more than that. They are, they are a legit band. They inspired so many other bands like Metallica and Jill Biafra. They've cited them. So I don't know if Metallica cited them as influences, but they've covered their songs later on. So I imagine they were an influence to some degree. Just they deserve more than what they have. So Blue Oyster Cult, if, if you're going to take anything else away from me this episode, listen to the Blue Oyster Cult. And that's Andrew, my- Andrew Mullen, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> what? No, 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 I, I loved it. <laughs> that was the best. That was the best Andrew monologue I've heard in a long time. Let's go to the 80s. Full of hairspray and cocaine. This is probably why a lot of the music was fucking terrible in the 80s. I think that, that the 80s can kind of be encapsulated um, by just looking at some of the artists that came from the 60s and 70s and how they dealt with the 80s. And the answer is almost always very, very poorly. So, it, it, and it's interesting, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, actually, talking about artists transitioning into the 80s. Um, 
Because, yeah, I mean, honestly, it's probably the decade that artists from previous decades trying to transition to another one probably struggled with the most with going from the 70s to the 80s. Um, you've been in the band like Heart, which is kind of almost a folk rock band. I love, I love 70s Heart. I, I love all the records they made during that decade. But when you go to the 80s stuff, it makes me cry because I'm like thinking, what happened to the band I love? And pretty much you can talk up to any artist. I mean, Stevie Wonder. Um <laughs> Yeah, you uh, did great in the 70s. Mm, not the 80s. Uh, we were thinking, um, yes, yes is another classic example of them just, just failing to just, I mean, they, they had a hit, but no one looks at it back at it fondly very much anymore. Um, I mean, just so many fans struggled to go into this decade. And honestly, w- try to change when they honestly shouldn't have. They should have just tried to do something different. I know maybe they would have gotten much chart success, but maybe at least all of their fans were stuck with them because a lot of those, a lot of those albums that a lot of these '70s artists made during that point are just are just kind of laughed at or just kind of looked at with such disdain and desire from their respective fans. It, it's almost it's kind of sad, actually, how how much how, almost like a black hole radio, the radio mainstream radio was during this decade. Yeah, and speaking of shit that gets played on the radio a lot, oh my, God. and and in karaoke bars all over the world, and sports stadiums, and pre- we we complained about Sweet Caroline being overplayed. Oof. No song, maybe not even all. Uh, it's a small world can beat <laughs> the level of just oh how overplayed this song is, how overused it is in pop culture, how just how much of a visceral reaction it stirs in my soul every time I have to hear that fucking piano riff. <sighs> Michael, you hate this band maybe slightly Please. more than I do. Oh, yeah. So go right ahead. This what is go- talking about? This, this is going to be the angriest you're going to hear me and you're not even going to be able to hear in my voice because inside I'm seething. I fucking hate Journey. It is my all-time least favorite band ever. I hate Journey with all my heart and soul. And listeners, if you think you like Journey, you don't. You do not (laughs) like Journey. Nobody likes Journey. People who don't listen to music say they like Journey because unfortunately that's all they've ever heard. If you play your biggest hit twice at a show to appease the crowd, you failed as an artist. Uh, It's overplayed garbage. Steve Perry, undisputed good singer, I guess. But no, that's not. I guess he is. No, it's the one of the few good things you can say about him. He's a good singer. If you like Journey, you're an asshole, and I don't <laughs> want you. And I don't want you in my life. Stop listening. Yes. Oh my God. We're, oh <laughs> Jesus Christ. I hope we don't have any actual. What? Imagine what like the few like regulations we had it was like a big fan, <laughs> and now we've lost. Huge. Them. Okay, so uh, I'll jump in. Yes, I as well hate Journey. They're in my. I don't know if my. They're not my number one least favorite band that goes to fall in reverse because Ronnie Rackett <laughs> could eat a fucking cock. I hate that man and anything he's ever touched in his life. But that's that's a whole other conversation. Journey is probably my top ten at least though because apart from a good undisputably great vocalist but terrible frontman Steve Perry <laughs> and I forget the guitarist's name. He's actually kind of good. He's yeah. wasted in this band. Yes. He can actually shred and pull out some decent guitar solos. He's fucking wasted in this band. They they very rarely do they so even if they come up with a decent riff or a decent hook, it's ruined by this awkward melody that's always delivered by C. Perry. It sounds like he never knows how to truly carry himself. 
except for on Don't Stop Believing. He actually knows, I can tell what he's going for. The song's still dreadful, and I hate the fact that it's perpetually etched in our brains when we are born now, basically. It's just everywhere. But even when you die, even if you dive to the other hits, into the other music, they don't offer much. They, the, the, the production sucks. It is, Journey is the antithesis of overproduced, oversaturated, overdramatic, um, crappy arena rock from the late 70s to early 80s. Talking bands like Ario Speedwagon and Six, <laughs> you know, like those bands. That's who we were talking about. And yet they're they're considered one of the premier classic rock bands. And yeah, they really never should have never gotten to that point. I mean, they a lot of their. I mean, maybe not at first, but but nowadays their career, their legacy is being carried on the back of one unstoppable mammoth of a fucking track that will never leave our lives. Ben, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I I think it's it says something when a song has been so overused in media that so so you, you use you use a song in your movie, and eventually the song gets used so many times in movies that you can't use it anymore for that scene. So then it starts being used ironically in movies. Mm-hmm. Don't Stop Believing might be one of the very few songs that can't even be used ironically in movies anymore because that's happened so many times because yep. it's played everywhere. Somewhere in the world right now, we're in quarantine. Nothing is happening. Somewhere, <laughs> Don't Stop Believing is playing. Yes. I guarantee. It lifts my spirits. It's, it's like. Oh. it's inescapable. It's just like yeah. the, the Neil Diamond argument. Just it's something yeah. you can't ever stop hearing. That's what it should be called. Don't stop playing this song because no one ever does. And yeah. now we're going to play it. Even you, Michael, all three of us know every single word to that song. Everyone does. You you can be the least person who's least interested in music in the world, and you know every single lyric to that song. That's how bad it is. I think we've beaten that point to death. Let's move on to the underrated pick. Um, do you mind if I start this one off then? I mean, Michael, whoever I'm yeah, talking about. <laughs> so, so initially, so we were struggling trying to p- pick out a band that we can all agree on, and uh, Michael brought up the Violent Femmes. Uh, finally, and we were like, I think both me and Ben were like, oh, that's it. I mean, that's 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 clearly it. Um, you know, I was pretty excited. I was pretty up up for this one. Gotta say, after listening to the first two records, I am a little more torn on whether or not they belong <laughs> in the spot. Um, mainly to do with lyrical content. So um, I went back and listened to the first two records and. A lot of that stuff does not hold up very well. Um, you know, so like, especially listening to that first record, um, I should remind, I forget, uh, their lead singer name escapes me at the moment. Um, he wrote a lot of this stuff when he was in high school and you can tell, um, you know, I mean, straight up, especially when you look at a song, like added up musically. Great. Um, lyrically, he straight up sounds like an incel in a lot of these songs, and it provides some really cringy listening at some points. 
Um, and then you get to the second record, um, name thing, uh, Hollow Ground. Thank you, <clears throat> thank you, Brain. Uh, a lot of so if you, you might, if you listen to that record, you might hear a lot of like religious themes, a lot of religious topics being sung about. Um, and, and for a while, and I'm no far from the only one. Um, I thought they were called kind of ironic because it's like, oh, how great Jesus is, Jesus on the water. I mean, the way he's the dude sings it, it's like, okay, you're being ironic, dude. So this is funny. I really like Jesus walking, Jesus walking on the water. I like that song. When I was doing my research, though, it turns out he's a he's a devout Baptist. None of this was ironic. It was yep. all super sincere. And granted, me not liking that's a personal thing. I'm an atheist, so obviously I'm not going to be into it. But it makes it so much more goofier when you know that it is. And then do I even need to say anything about the song Black Girls? Oh my Christ! I'm oh, <laughs> homophobia and racism for the price of one, y'all. But um, yeah. So lyrically, they were behind their times in a lot of ways. It's really it can be some really tough listening going back to now. However, if we're talking musically here, if we're talking sonically. These guys were ahead of their time, like nobody's business. More so, way more than television, I would argue. When I when I first heard "Blister in the Sun," I, first of all, I think it was a on a '90s alternative station. I'm like, oh, it sounds like a cool '90s alternative band. I don't know about. Go go. Turns to find out their first record was released in 1983, and <laughs> which blew my mind because it sounds like it belongs in 1993. It was insane and ahead of the time these guys were. And I know everyone likes to call them folk punk and. I kind of hear it. I don't agree, especially lyrically. Uh, music of folk punk, you know, it's a lot of it's about like, you know, like anar- anarcho-politics and, you know, you know, beating up police officers or whatever they'd like to sing about. Um, you know, it's a far, I think stuff's a far cry from against the knee and, you know, days and days. But I think, I think sonically, um, Bible Flames easily belong into, you know, like, you know, the more like acoustic side of like all 90s alternative, like Blind Melon and, you know, stuff like that. So it's kind of a mixed bag. If you look just like the music itself, wow, absolutely great. Yeah, the, I, they, they are a pretty strong contender for this spot because of how ahead of the time they were. There are plenty of aspects, though, that do kind of hold them back now mm-hmm. in looking back in retrospect. What say you guys, though? I think that, um, uh lyrical content aside because i wasn't fully aware of that stuff um i think that that of uh, of our underrated bands violent femmes have kind of the most undeniable sound to them like the the sound of the violent Violent. femmes is a weird sound that you don't hear from a lot of recorded artists because it's very acoustic based but it's still got the drumming and I, i they they have a very sort of cheery disposition musically i'd say and it works in kind of a barbecue uh campfire sing-along kind of thing so that that's a big part of it for me is i'm confused like you can hear someone playing blister in the sun around a um campfire or something like please do not go Mm -hmm. something like that so i think that they had that sort of appeal where it's just fun music if you're just taking it at at a, a musical level like that so yeah. And, the reason, and they're important the reason, in the folk punk scene. Yeah. Or starting at least. The reason why they have to be on the list and they have to be considered underrated is because nothing in the 80s sounds like it. And so many musicians were inspired by it afterwards. I mean, like you were saying, Andrew, I mean, sonically, this band is just it's one of a kind. Um, and not even just for the acoustic guitar riffs and, and the, the catchy lyricism and all that. Because um, lyricism is catchy. Um, the lyrics themselves are not tasteful. 
Um, but it is catchy music that's pop kind of demented. Um, and there's just tons of great, unique experimentation on it. Like there was some xylophone I heard on uh, Gone Daddy Gone, which yeah. <laughs> that's like, that, I, I was in that. Yeah, that was really cool. And, and you know, I think the Violent Femmes are best in small doses. Um, but as I said, you can't, you can't find anything else from the 80s that's like it. Whose phone was that? That was mine. That was our timer. Mm-hmm. Ah, oh, funky, very funky timer. All right, well then, I'll I'll just keep this last point short. Yeah, I mean, to, to to what Ben said, yeah, they had this weird disposition. They had this quirky oddball kind of like slight, oh, slightly demented. You know, that kind of had that feeling, especially on that first record, which is again something very characteristic of the '90s alternative scene. So again, mm. musically, definitely something that that this should be commended. But again, lyrically, not everything works. And we'll play probably one of the more well-known songs to add it up. And you'll hear both how lyrically they made, they do not, they age like moldy cheese, little cheese that was already moldy. And, um, but musically, it's like, wow, this was the early 80s. So let's play a little bit of add it up. Why can't I get just one kiss? Why can't I get just one kiss? Maybe some things I wouldn't miss If I look at your pants and I need a kiss Why can't I get just one screw? Why can't I get just one screw? Believe me, I know what to do But something won't let me make love to you For just one day after day, I get angry and I will say, Why can't I get just one fuck? Yeah, um, incel is no word to that. Um, so yeah, again, maybe not everything ages well with them, but certain things do so. With perhaps some caution, I would recommend go back listening to the Violet Thames. First of all, any 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 um, personal uh, recommendations you guys want to throw in for the '80s? For me, there's plenty. I mean, as I said before, as I was explaining the '80s as a whole, um, those bands, the college rock bands. I mean that that is a just underrated time in music. And um, as we're getting like to the end of the '80s, you'll start to see like with MTV and stuff that get a little more mainstream attention. Um, but I mean, and some of those bands like have a cult following now. Um, Sonic Youth is an example of that. Um, but I, it seems like every day I discover another band from the 80s that, uh, like the late 80s, that I, I get tied to immediately. Um, so, of course, go listen to those college rock stuff. That's, that's where the 80s are at their strongest. Yeah. By you, Ben. Um, I guess I would just say more people should listen to the replacements that's i'll leave it at that if you like rock music you'll like the replacements all right i'll keep mine short um i mean if we're talking about again if i were to make this list uh for overrated uh <laughs> well i could i could go easy and go with some of the hair metal bands i hate um but no for me the obvious choice for me for this is u2 i think i've said in this show before how much i hate u2 um they have a the most over dramatic over egotistical Frontman of all time. He's honestly one of the worst. He's 
unbearable. A guitarist who can't play a pretty worthless ba- rhythm section. There's not a lot from the huge discography that really is really worth listening to, in my opinion. So, yeah, you two. It's just also a terrible song, right? It's just, I'm going to get off it. Underrated. Uh, Twisted Sister. I'll just say that just to make Michael mad. But yeah. Um, stray, I'll mention the Stray Cats too. I think they had, that, that's a good way of doing 50s throwback music while keeping a lot of great musicianship with it. They're, they're really, they did not get the credit they deserve. Um, but if I were to make this list, I would if you either put the Meat Puppets or Midnight Oil in the spot. Meat Puppets, they're more than just a band that Nirvana covered a couple times. Kurt Cobain liked them for a reason. I think they're actually pushed. I think they're actually just as innovative and ahead of the time as the final films were. Looking back on it, um, and then um, all Midnight Oil. Um, if you're if you're live outside Australia, you probably only know Beds Are Burning, but um, they're a lot more than that. They're basically imagine basically REM, um, but more pumped up and full of Rage Against the Machine style lyrics. Um, that's basically Midnight Oil, and uh, they they they're absolutely tremendous and just. Crank that classic album, not the classic album. Honestly, they right behind REM is one of the best alternative bands of the '80s. So, those are the ones that I would recommend. Let's move forward to the '90s then. Um, if I can introduce this one around Andrew, yeah, because right. I, I have some complications with the '90s. Of course, this is the decade that got me into music. I mean, we're talking about grunge here. Um, we're talking about uh, just tons of under. This is the year that punk broke, you know, um, like 1991, mm. people say is the year punk broke. Um, and this is this is when um, we're going to see probably the biggest shift in rock music of all time. Um, like, you know, some of this stuff that was underground for so many years, getting more mainstream. And then you have a transformation into probably some of the most shitty alternative rock bands ever some of them are good and andrew's gonna highlight a lot of the good ones thank god but also we're seeing genres that we never would have expected coming in the mainstream like really hardcore metal that's now going to get turned into new metal um which people have their ups and downs with it's really a complex decade um just for also the internet gets involved here Um, you know, music's getting a little more shareable and easy to pass on. Um, and that, that's going to complicate things. I mean, this is, this is the decade where this in the two thousands is where we need to highlight how much technology and music listening mediums affects what we hear and what becomes popular. So do you mind if I introduce this one, Michael? Please do. Cause I'm not really sure how to. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, okay. I, I I feel we've probably just said this at the start, but overrated doesn't necessarily mean bad overrated just means this one artist got more praise than what they deserve for whatever reason that might be um it doesn't even necessarily mean that we personally hate this man at least for me personally uh i don't hate the offspring which is the artist we chose for the most overrated artist of the 90s um yeah it is it's so weird because there's a, there's some good stuff to this band. There's a lot of obviously garbage stuff to this band. They've made some pretty good music, especially if you kind of look at the under, the more deeper cuts of them. And yet at the same time, they made some, they made some of the absolute worst singles of that decade and could sing, saying all the crap that came out of the nineties. That's saying something, but yeah, I, I have, I have kind of this weird relationship with the offspring. What about you guys? Well, didn't you tell me once, Andrew, that like Smash is one of like the best-selling indie rock albums of like yeah. all time, which uh, is which just blows me away. 
Yeah. Because you wouldn't expect a band like The Offspring to have that. But then you think like, okay, their songs are catchy. They do have like um, some pop music stuff to it. And like the lyrics are edgy, you know, and like mm-hmm. if we're thinking about the, um, the, the teen culture of the 90s, I can see how The Offspring fits in. And, you know, I have a dark history with The Offspring because I there was a point in time where I listened to albums like Smash and Americana front to back, um, like in, in like early high school. And I actually saw these guys uh, live at Rock on the Range, you wow. know, some some years back and they put on a decent show. But then I look at them and I compare them to everything else that came out of the 90s. Um, all of these classic grunge acts and all these classic alternative acts, even some great metal too. I mean, where, what place does offspring have? What gives them the right to chart so high? That's the big question. You know, what do you think, Ben? I know you're not, you weren't very familiar with these guys. Right. I mean, it is really the overrated question because like I, I'm at a point in my musical journey where like I've gone up, I'm familiar with the sixties, familiar with the seventies, familiar with the eighties, familiar with the decade we live in now, but the nineties and the two thousands, that's like my blind spot. So I'm going in here and I'm finding all this great stuff. Like the underrated artists we're going to be talking about who've quickly become one of my favorites, the the grunge scenes, all these underground things that are really cool. You guys have hit me to a lot of stuff. And then I hear this and you talk about like how big of a deal these guys, their record is. And, and like this song, which I had heard before that we're oh. going to play. And I was just like, eh, like, yeah. I can get this, I can get this weirdness elsewhere. I can get the catchiness elsewhere. Like, I just, it's yeah. just kind of like a meh. Like, yeah. I, I don't, I'm not angry at it. I'm just like, I'll, I'll go elsewhere for this. <laughs> I mean, it'd be, yeah, I mean, that, it's, it's kind of what they are. I mean, when you look, when I, yeah, I think you guys can overall agree pop punk, this is genre, is pretty bad. I mean, especially <laughs> yeah. if you look by the end of the 90s and going forward into the 2000s. Like just any flavor of that whether it was more on the emo quote unquote emo side of things or you at the start we had like more mall punk people as i you might say with like bands like i don't know um simple plan it was fucking sure terrible but there are not a lot of good bands in that genre i would argue green day is probably the best band from that genre i think green day is pretty good you know they're kind of the first everyone's did the best Yellow card, maybe two. I, I, I love yellow card personally, but I view more kind of like a guilty pleasure rather than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, the offspring kind of sit in this weird thing. They're kind of like, they're okay. Like they're, they're okay. And, and I don't know why some, I feel like sometimes critics every now and again, will still kind of give them a pass over other pop punk acts, which is weird. Cause I, I went back, Smash is fine. Um, one of those singles, uh, one of the big singles for that one, you know, self-esteem has a mm-hmm. rape verse in it. Yeah, okay. yeah. We just kind of forget about that now, do we? Um, although "Come Out and Play" has a fun riff to it, but whatever. I listened back to Americana. I forgot how awful this album is. I mean, it's pretty bad. I mean, like they've made some okay. Like I, I like um, what's the Conspiracy of One? I think that's an okay record. Although that was mm-hmm. two thousand, past this decade. But looking at it back in Americana, honestly, it's maybe a a tier or two above Enema of the State or something awful like that. Sure. Like, the singles from this, oh my Christ, on a fucking bicycle. They're horrible. Um, kids are, when the kids are all right, it's the best single this album has to offer. That's saying something. That song's right. annoying. It is. Why? It is. Um, 
that why don't you get a job? That's a Beatles ripoff of Ubala, like um Ubala, like that one song that I can I can never say right from the White Album. But yeah. yeah, it's it's a ripoff. So Good Job's also stupid and horrible and kind of misogynistic as well. And then you get um and then you get to the one we'll play for you in a second for your listening pleasure. Uh, Pretty Fly for a White Guy, which is so awful. It makes I, I don't understand how it became a hit at all. It is legitimately one of the worst songs ever written, in my opinion. Like, and now you can hear it. Uh, <laughs> tell Baxter Holland not all the time but at times is a terrible vocalist he's awful like <laughs> it is grating more way more grating than Neil Diamond ever was honestly mm. uh, it, it, they, just, they just have a weird complex legacy to me and go through the discography at your at, 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 at your own risk you'll find stuff you might like you'll find probably a lot that you don't that's all I'm gonna say with the offspring yeah so let's let's let Ben talk for a little bit because this next pick is uh I know pretty close to his heart. Yeah, this is a um I I generally get into mu- music pretty quickly, but Pavement was a band that I heard them the first time and I was just like, "Oh yeah, this is going to be one of my favorite bands." The charm was there, they had funny moments, they had moments that I found really touching. Um so Pavement started in 1989, but they didn't record their first record slanted and enchanted until 1992 um fronted by Stephen Malcolmus who went on to have an uh, incredible solo career makes some of the essential music of this decade if you're gonna ask me um they showed a range of styles throughout their career from like noise and experimentation like their first record and uh their third wowie zowie are really noisy and kind of can be abrasive at times uh they had some country elements on crooked rain crooked rain which are going to play you a song from that and they had some popular stuff on on albums like this uh crooked rain crooked rain uh bright in the corners and their final um they they sounded i i'm a really big fan of pavement because they kind of sound like uh if you have a really shitty car which a lot of us do since we're in college uh, and it, you know, like you can get it started, but it might take a few times and you're rattling down the road and you feel like something might fall off. Like pavement can encapsulate that sound really well, where it sounds like one of their songs might just fall apart at any moment. And yet it never does. And it's just perfect. And they can have really produced moments as well. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I hold pavement very near and dear to my heart. Very, very quickly. This happened. Um, 
what, what, what do you guys think of pavement? I think they're underrated. I, I will very strongly back you up on pavement for sure, because this is a band that took me a really long time to get into. I first heard Harness Your Hopes and I hated it. I thought like, this is the stupidest song I've ever heard. It's not catchy. And then like, took me probably a whole year, maybe year and a half to actually, it, it kept coming back like after my Spotify playlists, when the playlist would finish, that would always be the first song that would play. And it took that to really get me to appreciate the sound that they were going for. And then when Ben started to get into them, he passed those songs along to me. And, um, you know, I started listening to it more and more. And then I just like, I've never heard a band that sounds more nineties than pavement. Um, it can be contended with Nirvana or, you know, some of those grunge acts in terms of capturing the aesthetic of the nineties. Um, not exactly the anger and the angst, but more the um, sort of the culture and the, you know, the, you can say like there's a laziness factor to it. It's, it's now we're now reaching the point where um, I think society becomes more reliant on technology and that affects how much effort we put into things to keep the social commentary short. There's no band that's more nineties than pavement. Um, that would be my monologue and crooked raid and crooked rain is a perfect album. Um, I, now I was not as familiar with pavement going in here. Uh, it's weird. Cause again, I, I'm biased with this decade. Cause again, so it's like one of my favorite decades is many bands from this decade. I love. So, um, but I, I was really can concede here and kind of explore what pavement had to offer. And I think they're great. I think they are underrated. It, the most underrated band of the decade. I would not agree with that. I don't know. I, I really like slanted and enchanted. Um, I actually, it's, it sounded, you know what it kind of sounded like to me? It sounded mm. like a more mellowed out, like, at the drive-in record or something. It was kind of like, that's kind of the vibe I was getting at. I wouldn't be surprised at all if they at least took some influence from that. Um, but, you know, like, they'd have some, especially with that record, they had some, like, the 90s emo vibes to it, which I liked. Um, I just, again, just wasn't anything special going forward to it. But they were able to diversify there. You know, going out to, like, Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. They were able to add those more acoustic elements, which I liked. And I liked the lyrics, too. You know, I think kind of being they, they they're one of the few bands that's been able to do like i was hearing some stuff and they're being kind of the awkward kid who doesn't know how to tell the girl he has a crush on you know that he likes her one of the few times i've heard those kind of lyrics done like well not absolutely fucking cringy so really good there um but i don't know i mean i i guess to me there's just a million other bands that i could have put here on this list and i'll mention them during my 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 personal recommendations for for the 90s but you know yeah, it's just, I don't know. I don't know if I would have put this band in here. At times it did. I was kind of being a little bored by this. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's just me. You know, maybe I just need to give them a little more shots. I just, nothing, as much as I love this decade, and I like these guys, again, if you're 90s alternative, I'm probably going to like you to at least some degree, but just not these guys as much as others. So I'm not trying to down you, Ben. I, I definitely see why you like them a lot. It's just to me, I think the other artists might have been suited better for the spot. That's all I'm going to say. We're going to play um, a little bit of Range Life. And this is one of their uh, retrospective bigger hits. They kind of scraped the charts when they released Cut Your Hair, which was from this same album. But um, they, they, they tried to stay away from the charts, it seemed, uh, especially with their ne- next record. So we're going to play a little bit of Range Life, probably like a minute and a half, because they're one of my favorite bands.
We have any personal recommendations you want to give for the '90s, real quick? Any any personal like picks you would have done for this? For this no, decade? sir. Any any from you, Ben? Mine was pavement. So. Okay. Well, then I guess I'll say mine real quick. I don't have any for overrated. Honestly, I think all the like I said, all the bands that sucked are not recognized as sucked. No one's saying the biscuits great anymore, so we don't need to worry about that. Um, for me. Um, some bands I might have put on this list um, L7 for starts great kind of grunge band sludge metal band that came out of like the, the riot girl scene a bit really fantastic belly they came out of um, another great Tana, Tana Donnelly group imagine if the breeders were dream pop um, that's really good um, great pump bands like Leatherface from Ireland they're kind of a cross between Hughes Could Do and Motorhead they're fantastic uh, 88 Fingers Louie, another punk band that was kind of precursor to Rise Against, but if you don't like Rise Against, I'd still give them a shot. They're not as cringy. Um, Monster, Monster Magnet, I, I think they were just a great stoner rock group that did kind of stuff different from the other, other peers at the time. But the two bands I might have actually put in the spot for sure um, are the Cardigans. I think they, they're only known for one, maybe two songs. And they're absolutely fantastic. Um, Mud Honey was probably another one I would have put there, mainly because Mark Arm is just as good of a singer as any other band from that decade. Maybe not Chris Cornell, though. He's a bit great. But Mud Honey does not get the view that they deserve. And then I'll throw in the Manic Street Profits. They might be a bit of a stretch. They have gotten a lot of cult success, but only, only in Wales. They're from Wales. We don't know them. They're, I think their lead singer disappeared in the mid-90s, so they didn't really get as big as they could have been. And I think here in the States, not as recognized. So definitely go check out the Manic Street Profits. They have just a wealth of great music from that decade. Not this, not, not the decade, not last decade. Last, they're, they're, not, they're not that good past, past the 90s, but definitely check out their stuff. So uh, the point I just want to make here, I just think this record, decade is just so rich in just great music. And really, you could have put a lot of bands there. So um, I won't, you guys look horribly tortured with me talking right now. So I will, let's just move on to the 2000s. <laughs> We are going very long on this episode, but it's okay. It is the final, it's the last episode. We'll go all out. Yeah, we will. But hey. Let's let's talk about the 2000s now. Um, The worst decade for music, if you ask me. Correct. Recorded music is is the worst one. It's the the bottom of the barrel. At least in terms of mainstream music, no doubt about it. Even Um, underground, though. There wasn't like, there there, there was some good stuff in the underground. But like, how much was really like hitting to any sort of notoriety? Any sort of like, and I'm talking the mainstream. There's any underground 
a lot of underground successes just didn't really didn't hit a lot of people. And if you go back and listen to that stuff, it, it's not as I don't think it's as vibrant or as fertile as the 2010 were. Yeah, yeah, you got a point there. But I the mean, math rock, I, Andrew. But the math rock, no, no, I won't. I won't get into that because we do have post rock starting in this decade. But um, yeah, I guess in terms of our umbrella of rock music, yeah, it's it is definitively the worst decade. But it, in terms of music in general, I can't say that. But you know what does suck? Lincoln Park. Um, Let's do it. Um, <laughs> okay, um, I, I guess uh, yeah. Well, I might as well jump right into it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I so to me this is the easy answer. This is the easy one to pick. Yeah. It, which at first to some people might be thinking, isn't that just an easy target? Don't a lot of people hate Lincoln Park? Maybe, but I am too sure about that because I still hear a lot of fucking critics defend this band and, and just kind of almost give them a pass from the whole new metal scene. Which um no. Uh no. They are mm. bottom of the barrel, right with corn, right with Papa Roach and Limp Biscuit. Hey, They're careful right with, what you say sorry. about corn with Michael here. I know. Yeah, I don't yeah. care. Corn is terrible. Um, but, <laughs> you know, they, they're, they had some elements that were a little more, made them a little more credible than some of their other peers, but they were just as cringily angsty as any of their other, as any of the bands from this genre at the time. They did push the genre in a little bit of a different direction, a little darker, a little, little lot bleaker, but it made some of the cringiness only that much worse. Um, and I don't mean to speak ill, but dead, but I'm sorry. Chester Bennington was not a good singer. His voice sucks. Um, no, no, dis, I, I, no disrespect to, to his family or whoever. Yes. I know he recently passed kind of recently. Um, but yeah, just, there's just not the, uh, the production is terrible. They're easy. This band is just as cringy. And I don't, it just blows my mind that so many people are like, oh yeah, Lincoln Park, that great band. Who, who, hmm. I, I'm not going to just, Michael, please just continue my thoughts. Cause I can't. Well, I actually, well, no, Lincoln, Lincoln Park is complicated because I think all three of us here have like heard Lincoln Park on the radio. And when we were kids, like going through elementary or, or middle school and we were like, oh, that that's, that's catchy. And that, and that has a place for what I'm feeling. Um, even Ben, like I'll give a precursor to, um, cause Ben's on the tail end of our 30 day music challenge that one of them was asking like a song from your childhood or something like that, or a song like you were embarrassed by. And didn't you have a Lincoln park song? No, no. no. Okay. never mind. <laughs> but it's, this point still stands is that we, we, I think people have that Lincoln park song that they do go back to and they, they think like, Oh, this, this got me into like edgier music or ed just rock music in general. Yeah. And like, it, I think Lincoln park was a, an important band for our time. But um, as we move past our time, we can look back critically and say, God, what a terrible phenomena in music this was. What say you Ben? <laughs> uh, what do you think of Lincoln park? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I still hear people defend this sometimes and music like this. It sucks ass. I don't know why someone would choose to listen to this. I, I get that everyone has different tastes and stuff like that, but even within whatever the fuck this sound is, God, yeah, that guy's they, voice, they, the production, rest in peace, I mean, is just... Yeah, if you look at like hybrid theory, the production is terrible. Sometimes the guitars sound okay. A lot of times they sound muddy and crap. 
uh, the DJ scratches are excessive. Um, Mike Shinoda, I, I, can I ask you, I want to ask you guys this though, because you guys are more well-versed in hip-hop. Is Mike Shinoda a good rapper? Yes or no? No. Okay. I didn't think so, but I just wanted to, I just wanted to <laughs> double check. Um, speaking of that, I, I like to, can I just read you for some brief, brief lyrics from a, a, a track called High Voltage, which is a bonus track off of Hybrid Theory. Um, before the rat race, before monkeys had human traits, I mastered numerology and ping pink theology, performed lobotomies with telekinetic psychology. I mean, wow. What, what poetic, what poetic, um, genius right there. Thank you, man. <laughs> or, or, or we can just look at the song that we'll be playing here shortly. Uh, one step closer with the brilliant lyrics such as shut up, shut up, shut hmm. up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I hey. mean, this, Dude, they could have they could have made the intro to Smosh, which is another <laughs> early two thousands thing. <laughs> uh, late two thousands, actually, but yes, yeah, uh, they they really they really could have. I mean, by God, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, this is definitely of its time. And why people let this get big? Why people still give this more of a pass? And like you know, like people, I've heard people like just shit on new metal all the time, but then just say, oh yeah, then like later, especially on like YouTube critics, you know, they'll like shit on new metal one video then like two videos later oh yeah like in park that great band and i just don't understand it i just don't understand it so yeah this i don't have anything else really to say about these guys unless if you guys do we can just play yeah. their song let's give the people this. what they don't want this is one Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, Michael, introduce us this next one because you're the one who pitched oh, it. Oh yeah, this this is what I've been looking forward to this whole episode because um, this is a band I got into relatively recently, and um, their first album is just an absolute classic. And I think this is when we're talking about good music of the early two thousands. The little that there is my mind immediately goes to the strokes and I'm sure your guys's does too. Um, but this is a band that I think could be put right up there with the strokes. I'm talking about Interpol and the, a lot of people can say that um, Interpol was using a lot of ideas that block party put out before them. If you guys know who they are, they're kind of, yeah. they're, they're an English band. Um, they wrote that song helicopter. Uh, very catchy. That was on like guitar Hero and stuff. But Interpol is probably the most consistent band from the early 2000s that is still consistently putting out great singles. Their albums are, they do this concept that I really like of making their albums like relatively short, that not a lot of songs on there. And <laughs> I think it's something a lot of bands could copy. Um, that, and what filler you will find on their albums is still like works in the entire concept. Um, and yeah, they're, they're just one of those bands that I'm still slowly getting into. And they were kind of like a, I guess you guys might consider them a, a cop-out pick, but for me, someone who's delved into them really deeply, I think they're an example of something that people need to go back on and really examine really closely. 
Yeah. I mean, I think it's solid and considering the time they could have been bigger than they were, especially just considering sort of that whole scene or the lack of it relative to the, to how the nineties were when it came to underground stuff. So yeah, I mean, I think Interpol is a good choice. I like everything I've heard. That's what I got to say. Yeah. uh, I'll be a bit of a detract here to me. This is, yeah, sorry, Michael. It's probably the biggest stress I think that we have in this entire episode. Um, not to say the Interpol's bad. No, the Interpol's really good. I mean, Antics is a great record. And I know that's one of the main pitches that you made for us when, when, when you recommended Interpol for the spot. Um, you know, yeah, it, it's definitely. Uh, look at all the, the big like debut records. You know, from from those bands at the time. You know, okay, well, Muse is late nineties and whatever. But you know, look at you know the first record from the Strokes or the Arctic Monkeys. Yeah, I mean, it's or Franz Ferdinand even. You know, I even, yeah, it, it's it yeah it, it comfortably sits in that area as being really good. I don't know if it's as good as this is it. I don't even think it's as good as the Arctic Monkeys first record. That that might be a biased thing because I really do enjoy that record. But the thing with me the Interpol just putting them here. I, I think they've gotten there too. I, whenever there's a new release from, I hear a lot of hype for them and yeah. And, and I, I perhaps they are certainly more consistent than other bands and other, from, that, from that time, you know, I mean, people have varying degrees about some of the later strokes and Arctic monkeys works. Although I've heard similar things talking about the later Interpol stuff as well. I mean, honestly, I, I, I think if you were to make like a big four of like the early like garage revival stroke indie stuff from from that time, I think Interpol would actually probably be an easy pick for for, uh, for one of those spots. Um, and I'm not I'm not shitting on the band again. I think the band is truly. Uh, I think the band is really great, and they have a lot of talent. And they offered something different. If you look at the antics, it is different from this. Is it? It is different from the first Arctic Monkeys record, which I refuse to say because it's ridiculously long and I can never remember it. But when you look, when you listen to antics, it offered something completely different and I appreciate it for that. But at the same time, I think people have recognized that. Um, I, I do get some of your points. So that maybe they are more consistent than other bands. But for me, I think Franz Ferdinand might be a better pick because I like their first two records a lot. And I think people just kind of remember them as like a one hit wonder. And I think that's a little unfair, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Interpol is still a great band, and for whatever reason you don't know Interpol very well, I, you definitely need to familiarize yourselves with them. I, I think they're, again, I've also been slowly getting into them for a little bit now, and I think, yeah, they have a lot, a lot to offer. For sure. I think we can go ahead and just play the song then. Uh, my final thought would just be like, if you haven't heard Turn On The Bright Lights yet, in comparison to everything Andrew said, uh, please do yourself a favor and listen to it. It's probably one of the strongest debut albums I've ever heard in my life. So, But this song is not from it. This song is from a later album, and it's called The Rover.
Uh, just a side note, I, I, I misspoke. I thought I, I misremembered antics being their debut. Just turn out the light brights. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's all good. You got uh, some uh, additional bands, I imagine. Um, just one. I, I'll just mention one for underrated again. This, this record is all pretty, pretty weak. But there's a reason why Interpol's here, and Michael, you better honor this deal that we made because Michael yeah, and I course. made a concession. Of if course, we, I would give him Interpol for the spot. It, in place for the artist, I think really does belong in here. Maybe I'm biased because they're one of my favorite bands, the Silver Sun Pickups. Uh, although they released two records that decade plus, like a le- little known acoustic album and a EP. Um, that's some of the best stuff from that decade. I think people just kind of remember them for Lazy Eye now, maybe Panic Switch too. But they have so much more to offer going with, with, with the records they released not last decade and during the 2000s. I think that that'd be the band I put there. But um, the concession was if Michael put Interpol there, we'd have our own Silver Sun pickups episode. And you uh, will have it. And you excellent. Will have it. So, and overall, I know it's, I was kind of complaining with the whole Interpol thing. I don't care. We're going to talk about the Silver Sun pickups. But, but I remember the fuck you want. Put Kings of Leon in there for all I care. <laughs> I get the Silver Sun pickups, I'm fine. By the way, Kings of Leon, overrated as fuck. They could have also gone there that spot. You're right. I've so. seen them live too, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but let's keep let's keep how it rolling. How did you stay? How did you oh. keep awake, Michael? <laughs> what was that? How did you stay awake during that set? Is what I want. Uh, well, I don't know. It was to impress a girl. I don't want to get into it. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, let's let's move on to the 2010s. Uh, we, we don't need to really talk much about this decade. Um, and, and, you know, kind of sum up as far as summing it up. We, we did that on our last episode of last season. If you haven't listened to that one yet, go check it out. Um, so we'll just jump right into the overrated pick. And again, this is another case of a band that I personally don't hate. But for me, this was probably the, the most obvious pick to put here. It hurts to the, put them on here, kind of. Maybe for you. Not, not so much for me. Let's talk about this. <laughs> the Black Keys. Now. I know the Blackies had kind of been active a decade prior to this, and you're right. They had they released a lot of music before for the 2010s, and honestly, some of it's actually pretty good. If you're like me, or, or kind of like tepid on the Blackies, you can say whatever you want. The Rubber Factory kicks ass. That record's awesome, no doubt about it. I love that record. However, we're talking about the top of the 2010s, um, a completely different story. This is some of the most boring stuff I've heard. I heard from from the decade. Um, at least to me, I don't know what say you guys. Yeah, I well, to me, the Black Keys always seemed like the more boring or uh, younger sibling of the White Stripes. Um, <laughs> and uh, on in my notes here, uh, in in regards to their 2010s music, I called them the most flaccid of the garage revival bands. And something like Gold on the Ceiling just sounds like it, it is destined to be in a commercial, which it was. Um, yeah, what I think is that the black keys had a lot of bite when they started and this yeah, didn't just kind of my rubber off. factory was so great. Yeah. And then they just ran on fumes after that for like five albums or however long they, they yeah. sucked. And, um, it, it they just kind of ran out of gas and kept going for, for some reason, I guess, cause the money kept coming and that, that's when their biggest music's from. And I don't really understand that. So yeah, I don't hate the black keys. It's just like, they got boring. Yeah. The- and- I agree with Ben. Like the Black Keys for me was pretty important. Um, if when if we're talking about modern bands, that kind of proved to me that like you know rock music is still around. You know when I was a little kid and like I thought all the good music was from the seventies and eighties, but like um, 
the Black Keys, as I started to look at how much filler there is on all of their albums, um, it's another, it's not to the same degree, but it's kind, it's another Kiss example where they have their hits and they're played everywhere, um, whether that be T-Mobile commercials or, you know, in someone's iPod, I don't know. But uh, yeah, they're, they're an example of a band that didn't know exactly what they were looking for and they kind of filled their albums with a bunch of garbage to push those big hits up to the front. I will say this though, this is going to be my one alternate fact. Dan Auerbach, the uh, Auerbach, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, has a fantastic solo career that people should check out. Agreed. Um, he, when he's not with the drummer whose name escapes me, who I think is kind of the control freak of this band, he lets all of his musical inhibition flow out and it's perfect. It, it really is something you cannot miss out on. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely check out Dan Auerbach's solo career, but skip over the Black Keys. Well, yeah, and really, I mean, like it's weird because I, I know everyone sings the praises of Brothers and El Camino. Those are the two big ones. I know people got tepid on the later stuff, um, you know, which maybe they're not overrated in that sense because people have seemed to kind of gone lukewarm on them. Although um, they're still kind of considered one of the premier rock groups of, uh, of the modern world, which doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but if you look back at Brother, and we were talking to someone from the Seam Life office, and he said, yeah, if you're talking think about rock albums, El Camino was the best one to me. I'm like, I guess it's better than Brothers. I mean, Brothers is so boring and weak <laughs> and crap. There are no hooks on that. Some of, the, some of those singles, like Howling for You and Tighten Up, how the hell were those hits? How the hell were those hits? Yeah. It still baffles me. I, they do nothing for me. All Camino was a little better. They, they seem, because they're more in a popular direction now, and they seem to kind of go for the popular stuff better in All Camino. They're better hooks overall. I like, even though what's destined to be for commercial, Gold on the Ceiling has is, is kind of got a nice groove to it. I, I like the little black submarines. I think that one was actually I forgot completely forgot about that song. I was actually kind of I was pleasantly surprised by that one. And uh, Lonely Boy, it's goofy, but it it, it it's a it's, it's it's a bop. It's a bit of a it bop. It is a bop. It is. But I mean, yeah, like besides that, yeah, there's not a lot to really grab you from from that record. And to call that one of the best rock albums of the past decade. That that is ridiculous to me. Like, I don't know. I mean, the the, the Black Keys they they stopped being good. Like once, let's say it this decade. Honestly, there's a couple tracks to go back to and enjoy thoroughly, but yeah, there's not really much here, and I think that's evident by a song I had just mentioned, "Howling for You." If you want to play a bit of that. Thank you. 
Why was that a hit? I don't know, mm. man. I, I just have the, I just have this uh, bland taste in my mouth. Yeah, it's yeah. Just like, mm. <laughs> it's like, that's just so whatever. Where's the hook to that song? Right, right. Is it the da 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 da's? That's annoying Gosh. more than anything. <laughs> Good point. Hey, uh, can I can I explain this next part because we're about to do something pretty interesting. Bring it. We, yeah, uh, go right ahead, Michael. Whoa. Yeah, we decided for the twenty tens. Oh, Ben almost died. All right. Just losing my good. notes. Go for it. So for the 2010s, we decided, because we were going through these bands, and we thought, like, this is where everyone splits. Like, Andrew has his bands, Ben has his bands, I have my bands. Um, because it's the decade that we're most familiar with. It's the decade where we grew up listening to music. Mm -hmm. So we decided to omit the recommendation portion for this episode and just give you our underrated bands, each of us, of the 2010s and you're going to kind of get a couple minutes of us just to give you the recommendations like normal um but under the common theme that these are all great underrated bands from this past decade that we just concluded and i think ben is first on our list if you want to go first ben sure i'm going to keep mine brief because this band likes to keep a lot of their songs pretty brief so um this is a duo I'm about to play for you. Alex Luciano on guitar and vocals and Noah Bowman on drums. They met at a house show um, where one was asking the other for a lighter. They play short, catchy songs with clear to the point lyrics. Uh, they just put out a new record a few weeks ago. It's going to be pressed on glow in the dark vinyl, which is pretty cool. Um, they're not afraid of short songs. They're not afraid of short albums. I think their new album just cracks half an hour. The one before that was like 24 minutes long. Um, so barely even an album there. There are really good vocals on these songs, really good use of double tracking. They find a way to make a really big sound out of very few instruments and live. It's just guitar vocals and drums and they sound really huge live. So I can't really explain it, but I've been getting really into this band recently. I find a lot of their songs moving. I think that they deserve more listeners. They don't really have that many on Spotify or anything like that. Their social media presence is great, especially for a smaller indie band. So diet sig, is awesome. Check them out. I'm going to play you a little bit of a song called Pool Boys, which is from their first EP in 2015. I'm actually jealous. I didn't think of Diet Sick. It's actually a really good choice, Ben. Um, um, this was a really difficult one for me because I I was trying to keep this in the vein. Like, would it have been possible that people would know this band? Um, you know, trying to keep it at least somewhat in that general sphere. Um, so, and, and I was really struggling to find a band that would meet that requirement. Any bands that I loved for the past 10 years, like Moving Panoramas, I mentioned them a couple times in the show. I think I just have too small of an artist for me to really justify them trying to put this on this list. I didn't want to put any, any lower, low, like local bands, you know, like really underground bands to like 20 people know. I, I wanted to kind of stay away from that. Um, so I narrowed it down to two bands and I'll mention them really quickly. The Men, if you don't know The Men, they had a great sonic evolution, kind of um, 
some really interesting garage rock sounds that they've kind of taken different directions. They've gone punk with it. They kind of go into more of a like a 60s, 50s swing sound with it. It's like up to very rock and very like aggressive. It's really great. That's um on the particular um oh blanking on the album's name it has like a neon sign on the front. But there's a song on that record it's from 2014. It's called Pearly Gates. Check the fuck out of that song. It is amazing. Um, that's all I'll say about the men. I think they definitely didn't get their due, and they had a really great again, music evolution. Uh, another band I would also kind of put in that same general vein, um, Boom Duo. I, I think something else, an uh, aspect of uh, of the last decade, I think they kind of got overlooked is how, I don't want to say they had a resurgence, but I think psychedelic rock kind of came back in a pretty strong way. Um, there was a lot of great psychedelic bands that came from this time and really changing up that sound and adding new elements to it. Uh, Wooden Ships um, is a great example of that. I think that's a great band um oh there was a king giz record we had talked about i think it was their second or third record um had kind of like the green album artwork that was really good oh, too. mind fuzz yeah thank you um but and you get to moon duo and perhaps they're, they probably might have been the best out of the bunch maybe wooden ships is a good contender for that too but they um but me like maybe a lot of other people did uh i discovered this band through the gta 5 soundtrack they had a song called a uh, sleepwalker on, on, on their like alternative station, and it was really cool. Um, that was um, from the 2012 record, and they and they and they've just come keep coming back with some great singles, some just great records, um, really interesting ideas. They have like a two-part album called uh, Occult Arch- Architecture that I think you should really check out. Um, really, they're just a great psychedelic band, and I think they're just probably the best example of how that genre has has been updated for for uh, for for the current generation um so let me play a, a, a quick clip of a song called creepin it's off the first uh first uh called, called architecture record um it's really good <laughs> You know they're they're also pretty droney as well. I forgot to mention that they you know, they have artists like Spaceman Three and Suicide they take influences from. So if you like some of that kind of stuff, uh, definitely go check them out. Um, I think they have a lot to offer. So I've spoken too much, Michael. Please introduce us your artists. Okay, yeah, I'm going last, and uh, this one is uh, pretty interesting to me because I don't think um, I, I didn't know we were kind of going off bands that people might have heard the name of, but now that I'm thinking about it, people may have heard this one before. Um, it's called Sun Kill Moon, which is a solo project of a man named Mark Kozilek, who recent who before this project had a band called Red House Painters. 
um, who mm. was who was very good in the late '90s and early 2000s. And Mark Kozilek le- left that band um, towards the end of the 2000s to go on some more solo ambitions. And this was his most prominent. He also has a, you know work under his own name, but Sun Kill Moon is a collection of acoustic songs um, with some droniness to them. The instrumentation is perfect. It's lush. It's, it, it washes over you like a warm blanket. But what really stands out about this project is Mark Kozilek's ability to write lyrics. It's so Bob Dylan, but yet not Bob Dylan. And the fact that it's unapologetic and they have messages to all of them but he puts, he writes his lyrics as he's seeing the world around him. Like if you, if he's going to write a song about um, school shootings, for example, which he has, he's going to tell you exactly where he was, what he was doing, what his friends telling to him, what the last time his cat took a shit, um, like literally everything in the song. And to, to talk about school shootings and how, uh, you know, it affects your personal life and affects the people around you. Um, this is, I'm going to play you a song called sunshine in Chicago, and I'm not going to get, I'm not going to be able to show you the full scape of Mark Kozilek's lyricism, but you're going to kind of get what I'm talking about. Um, this is perfect music for music that you want to study and kind of lyric, look at it and appreciate it. It's, there's not a lot of jams in here. Um, but I sent Ben a, um, a song called Ben's my friend. It was pretty nice um, off of the 2013 album, I believe, called Benji. Um, it, you got horns on that song. You got these like cool delayed vocal passages. Um, but above all of it, you get a full example of what Sun Kill Moon is trying to do. But this song's called Sunshine in Chicago off of a record it released in, I believe, 2011 called Among the Leaves. And Ben can play that right now. kind of see how like he said his rune number he said how the ceiling fans hang hangs low he said his green velvet case you know everything's on display there and uh, mark koslecht is one of those musicians that we're never going to see again and something that you need to appreciate right now well i'm glad we ended strong boys and i'm glad we had a strong episode to end the season i know yeah. we, we kind of went a little long yeah but, can we uh, try to that oh <laughs> we had a lot of great conversations and uh, this this, this was a fun i think this is a fun format i really like this um yeah you know hey just just to sum it up sometimes you know sometimes it takes a while but eventually artists will get their due praise sometimes 
artists stick around for too long, but maybe they'll eventually just disappear. Right. Only time will tell, really, how an artist will be viewed, which is why 2010 was so hard, because it's kind of hard to know how they'll be viewed when it just ended. <laughs> right. But, yeah um no this was a yeah this is a lot of fun i had i i quite like this so um, yeah i think this was probably the song, strongest season of soundcheck we've ever had um and it's it just kind of shows like you know how much we really love music when we're we're able to do this podcast through the pandemic and everything and um you know general psa is to stay safe for any listeners out there and uh keep coming back and checking us out because and follow that twitter because we might just have a little bit of content to release through the summer. I mean, I love doing this enough to where, you know, I will take any day I have available to talk about music some more yeah. with you guys. I, I, so. I'd be open to doing short, shorter episodes. I mean, this would be a time to do artists with smaller discographies, for instance, you know, mm -hmm. or quick, you know, questions, you know, to kind of ponder over for 30 minutes, you know. Sure. I'd love to do a Nick Drake episode, for instance. That'd yeah. be, a, that'd be yeah. a fun one. For sure. Um, I think we're so like, I'll be on board on that. Ben, you know, first full season with us as 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 podcast editor. What 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 final words would you like to leave us all on? Um, I'm just really excited to see where we're gonna go after this because I I do really feel like we, I, I I was upset for many reasons by the fact that school got moved online, but a really big one was I felt like we were really hitting our stride with this and the fact that we were able to sort of carry on and keep recording episodes and. I mean, if I do say so myself, keep making pretty good cover art for them. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> I think that that just that shows that we we really do have some strength behind this lineup, and I'm really excited to see where we go the next two seasons. So, yeah, yeah, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, with that being said, though, I don't know if there's really much uh, else we need to talk about here. I think over every decade, maybe just everything. Our season's over, guys. How do you guys feel? I'm feeling good. Thanks for anybody who uh, stayed around and listened. Yes, thank you. Thank you for any listeners that we have. We really do appreciate you guys. Um, hopefully, we can keep providing you guys good content going forward. Yeah. But without further ado, I think we all knew what to say. In words of one of our most overrated bands of all time, Good, good night, Detroit. Detroit.